Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, that's your host, Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's James Moore and returning following a public clamour, an outcry, it's Tim Spears. Hello, everybody. Coming up on this episode, we'll revisit the uh, the summer's to-do list that we set out for Daniel Levy at the end of last season. Spoiler, some of it is still to be done. <laughs> we'll also discuss the protest planned over rising ticket prices, chatting to the new chair of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, Martin Buharja. And first, let's welcome back Spearsy, the old Spiritola, El Spirissimo. Come on, you Spears. How are you, Tim? How's it been to be away, to be away from Spurs and watch them distantly? Oh, it's been lovely. Uh, I've got a few years younger, and uh, you look you, you've even you you do look fitter as well. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's quite unhealthy covering Spurs, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah it's it's, uh, it's been um, it's been an interesting few months, Danny. I signed off before a game against Southampton away. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't know if anyone that one. <laughs> what happened there then? <laughs> but honestly, I mean the six months the six months before that. Like n- nothing happened really. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty mundane, repetitive. No, the same thing week. happened all over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah, w- when I signed off, there's yeah, two managers sacked, uh, one manager appointed, one director of football resigned, uh, another Kane transfer saga, and a man who doesn't own the club charged with in- insider trading. So yeah, it's um, if you want a fairly sedate few months, then um, then I'm back. Yeah, I should be, for those who are new listeners and people join us all the time, uh, Tim uh, sat in for one of our colleagues um, who was at Jack Pitt Brook. No, it was Charlie Eckershare. That was Charlie. Charlie Eckershare, oh, who was on, it was on um, paternity leave on the ever-fecund View from the Lane um, podcast because now Charlie Eckershare is on. No, he's on the summer no. holidays. I've got this. Uh, Jack Pitt Brook is on paternity leave. I'm looking at you two now. No danger. You'll be here. That's good. That's real good. Um, thank Tim. Honest to God. Thank you so much. And Tim will be sitting in occasionally because now he's a sort of distant admirer, if that's the right word, of Spurs, which takes us... Um, remember, we've got our email as well as our, our new Twitter site. I'll tell you more about that later. Anybody calling it X yet? Anybody just checking across the entire population of the world? Not one person. Um there's a shout out to Darren who reached out, as they say now in modern dramas, via our email, the VFTL at theathletic.com, reminding us that we had previously set out a summer to-do list for Daniel Levy. Now, of course, I, I, I'm absolutely bitter and twisted about this. When I say things on a podcast, I do not expect them to be read back to me three months later. Um, I expect to be way, airily waving them off as that oh, that happened. We'll move on from there. But we did. Unless it's right. Unless you're proven right, of course. Um, well, that seems to be your main fixation, I'll be honest, James. I'm, I'm so used to being wrong. I'm kind of okay about it. Um, we did set uh, Daniel Levy a kind of a job list for the summer. Um, and I'm going to ask you how he thinks he's getting on with this. Number one, of course, um, and it still remains in an oddly strange place, Tim, 
re-sign or sell or replace properly the irreplaceable Harry Kane. How's it going, do you think? <sighs> yeah, not too well. Although it feels like it's coming to a head now, doesn't it, Danny? It feels like one way or another, this sort of deadline they've set by the start of the season is, is going to be met either way and we'll know what's happening. It certainly seems like he's very keen to go. And it's up to Bayern to stump up an extra twenty million in the next few days. But it's it's got to be done sooner rather than later because the the the, the money that's got to be reinvested immediately after is is not going to be spent quickly. So um, I have my concerns about that. But um, but yeah, it's got to be done one way or the other. The uh, the, fr- the phrase hundred million though. Um, if play uh, defenders who are untried in the Premier League are going for seventy odd million, uh, Gavardiol, great player of course. Um, I'm afraid that 100 million for Kane wouldn't do for me at all. Not, not, not at all, at all, at all. Um, second on the list, and this is related, James, um, was to sell and re- or replace the club captain Hugo Lloris. Um, ha- he's not sold, and have we got a captain now officially? Well, yeah. I mean, th- I guess you'd argue they've replaced him as a go- well. They have replaced him as a goalkeeper by signing Vicario. But yeah, the, the captaincy issue is quite interesting, especially if Kane does go as well. And obviously, kind of persistent rumours about Hoiberg too, who, who feels like he'd be another candidate. I mean, I don't know who you turn to after that. Brian, maybe Brian Hill, won't it? Yeah, Brian Hill. Well, he's injured for the first two months of the season, Danny. So yeah, it can't be him. So, I mean, realistically, I don't know if you're talking about Romero. I'd I make mean, Romero captain as well. I mean, well, how do you hate Romero? I don't hate him at all. He's I think he's yeah, sick. I think I absolutely think that he can he can rein in some of his excesses. And maybe the responsibility of captaincy would see him do exactly that. But of course, if you do that, that will be interpreted in the less clever sections of the media as a massive snub to Son, won't it? Yeah. Also, you, you can be a lunatic, and you don't have to be. You don't have to hate them. I mean, you know, like uh, Timmy Mallet, he's a lunatic, but I don't hate him. So you're now comparing Timmy Mallet. No, he's, I mean, he's bonkers with the, you know, with the, what's it, the whack-a-mole and all that. It's, it's sort of reminiscent of Romero, Romero's style on the field. That is the mallet in question, yeah? Yeah, mallet's mallet. Yeah, so, yeah. Timmy Mallet, they were compared to um, Christian Romero less than five minutes into the podcast. I don't think that's too bad, to be honest. No. Um, but the, 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 there <laughs> well, is a thing you know about... We'll be the judge of that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of captain, it, it is interesting because you've sort of got a, a you spine of your team potentially moving all moving on this summer, although none of them have gone yet. Lloris, Dyer, Hoiberg and Kane, all leaders. Um, that is an issue, I think, going forward for next season, that there's not too many candidates. I, I do think that um, if it had a better season and if, it, if everyone hadn't taken a guinea to such a huge extent, Dyer would have made a good captain, a club captain, whatever. But um, again, it's one of those things, if you have the same bloke in charge for nearly a decade, um, the, it, it, human nature is so weird, isn't it? Because they've had the same goalkeeper and the same captain for nearly a decade, um, you'd think, because of the passing of time, that succession planning would be becoming higher and higher a priority. In fact, it goes lower and lower, doesn't it? Because it wasn't a problem, so it won't be a problem, and then suddenly it's a problem. Um, all right, I'm going to put, put, put it both to you. Let's say, I mean, if Kane stays, then he's the captain. That's obvious. Tim, if he goes, who's captain for you? If Dyer's in the team, he's my captain, but I, I, I don't... I think there's a good chance he will be in the team come the first game of the season. Um, I think he's a good club captain, but if he's not going to be in the team every week, then yeah, Romero's a good backup. You agree with that, James? Yeah, I think so. There's there's no one else there like leaping out at me. I quite I, I quite like the idea of Ben Tenkura as captain, but obviously he's going to be missing for the first couple of months of the season as well. 
But lead by lead by example, not by sort of tub thumping. The captaincy m- m- might be a good thing for Romero. It, m- it might be the yeah, kind of thing that... I can see that. I, don't, I, can, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm looking forward to the moment when he looks around the field to see who, who's he going to hand the captain's armband onto when the red card is flourished above his head. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. I said red card flourished. Eric. A red card is never flourished. It's always brandished, isn't it? It's that uh, the verb to brandish has gone out completely out of business, except when it comes to referees showing red cards. Next on the list for Daniel Levy was to offload and quote a lot of unwanted players, including those returning from loans. Um, Lucas Moura has uh, jo- joined a club in Brazil. More about that later. And Harry Winks has gone to play for Leicester City, where I hope and I believe he will do very, very well. But James, we keeping up with Spurs' tradition of not being very good at selling players, never mind their buying problems, not very good at getting rid of players. And again, it's proved to be the case this summer, although there is a month to go of the transfer window, I accept that. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue, broadly speaking, getting rid of the players should be less important than signing the players. But obviously we know the reality is Spurs probably need to sell to buy or, or, or certainly should be selling to buy the number of players they need to sign. Yes. Um... But yeah, obviously, we just mentioned Lloris there. And then you've got Sanchez, who we know there's interest in and we know he's available. And Bele, there's some interest. We're pretty confident he's available. Is he going to go? Some I mean, unmoneyed interest in Ndombele, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I should make the point here because he's our colleague that if Jack Pitbrook was in the seat where Tim is now, he'd be, he'd be screaming, no, give him another chance. Give him another chance. That's just Jack, you know, working me like a sock puppet there. Um, yeah, they 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 got three, four left backs. Can they all really be yeah, depth on exactly. the books for the for the rest of the season? I mean, yeah, I, I I'd say probably. I I think they've got like kind of thirty one senior players in the squad at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so purely on that basis, they're going to have to they're going to have to shift a few, and then obviously like one in, one out beyond that as well if they sign anyone. So. Yeah, you could you could easily see kind of seven or eight players going between now and the end, which is a lot of work to do in terms of actually finding buyers and negotiating deals and whatever else. But it's okay. Spurs got a very active director of. Oh no, <laughs> no they don't. Yeah, but they're clearly they're clearly desperate because you know one of one of the many gripes I've had with Spurs in the in the past few months while I've been away is it is accepting an offer of fifteen million pounds from a Russian club for Davison Sanchez, which I just find you know. Are they are they really that desperate that they're willing to do to do business with Russian clubs while hardly anyone else is oh, it's doing disgusting. that? Disgusting. And and to be fair, I think Davinson Sanchez, for whatever reason, may have saved Spurs a PR disaster there um, by by saying I'm not going there, um, or at least holding out for something else to come his way. Um, now now comes the fourth item we had on the list, and I'm rattling through these because there's a lot more. But trust me. Buy new players that genuinely improve the first team. I mean, the, the job description was pretty precise there. Um, so far, Tim, I put, I'll put. i answer the question for you. Madison are definite. After that, not so sure. You know, Vicario, we'll see. Um, if he's, I, th- I think there's a decent chance he'll be an upgrade on Larice of last season. I guess Manor Solomon could be an upgrade on Lucas Mora, but that's not the first team, is it? No. But that, that is a good point. I also think, you know, Kulisevsky and Pyro, obviously they're brought in um, permanently to two good additions. I also think, Danny, that last summer's recruitment is going to look potentially better. This is me with my positive hat on. Potentially better this season. Um, you know, last I, I felt like last summer they, they brought in players 
good players who could do something in the Premier League, but who who largely Conte didn't want. Um, so when you haven't got your recruitment strategy aligned with your head coach, is going to cause problems. But these players are all pretty much still here. Um, and I think Bissouma, Richarlison, um, you know, we'll see what happens with, with uh, Jed Spence. Poro, they're all players who, uh, in different ways, weren't given a chance. Yeah, and, you know, R- Romero was obviously joined permanently last summer as well. Um, a doggy came in. So they they may pay they didn't pay dividends last season at all really any of those signings remember had a poor season well but this season I'm I'm feeling more optimistic certainly about Basuma and Richarlison and then we'll see what happens with the doggy but and I, I, I like that you've you've um, absolutely bought into a doggy as how to pronounce it pronounce his name yeah <laughs> pronounce it pronounce it yeah <laughs> I'm Scottish now that is right isn't it yeah that is right yeah yeah no no it's absolutely right but there's, there's still a part of me because of the word doggy. Um, come on, we're all grown-ups. Because of the word doggy, it slightly stumbles over that name, as James will point out, I stumble over all names. Um, isn't that right, Jack? Um, the, the, but you, you, you bought straight into a doggy. Good for you. Good for, good for you. Uh, the squad, the squad, the squad, does, the team, I should say, does look like it will be quite different, doesn't it? On the, on the basis of, yeah, Well, I was just about loanies. to say, of course, on the evidence of last summer, you, James, are our official um, squad sniffer. You can smell a squad, whether it's improving or not. What is your nose telling you about this one? Uh, I mean, look, uh, there is one fairly notable potential departure that I would say would probably yeah. decrease the standard of the squad substantially. Exponentially, yes, yeah. Yeah, that is obviously uh, Tunku and Dombele. Um, <laughs> beyond beyond that, I mean, that is obviously a major issue. And, and you know, Spurs don't have too many player, like elite, elite players. And if Kane goes, obviously they're losing one. But the rest of it, I would say, probably does look in better. Nick, second half obviously is a problem as well. Let's not forget. But if they if they get a good if they get a decent option there at the left uh, left side centre half, then I think the rest of it kind of looks okay. Let me ask you about a player who has not been offloaded. Uh, question in point number three, but could genuinely improve the first team in certain circumstances. Point number four, Gio Lo Celso suddenly appears to be back in the good books of the manager. Um, and Tim, he's even there are reports now. I don't take all reports with equal gravity because obviously there's a lot of people making a lot of. Let me just look it up in the dictionary. Make up a lot of shit this time of year about um, football clubs, and the idea that Postecoglou has come out and said, "You know what? I think Celso is a much better player than Benton Kerr." Um, that may be his opinion, but he wouldn't have voiced it, would it, to anybody of any importance? Because that's not how the world works. But Celso appears to be. Someone who, I mean, Levy will be doing his nut. There's someone they could have got 25 million for. Now suddenly the manager is, is tousling his hair and uh, braiding flowers through it and saying, you're lovely. But this reflects the very different approaches of the of the last two managers, doesn't it, for me, that someone like Lo doesn't fit into what Antonio Conte wanted to do, but fits more into what Postacoglu is trying to do. And that bodes well for me. Um, you know, I think... Lots of players who were pretty poor last season are going to get a lift under the new manager. I don't want to compare it to Basball. However, with a more attacking, uh, uh, hands-free approach, um, certain players will really thrive off that. And I, I'm pretty I'm pretty enthused about what's to come on that side of things. I think there are an awful lot of problems at Spurs in other areas which may uh, hamper what, what Mr. Po- what Mr. Postacoglu is trying to do. But... His mentality, his approach, I've been enthused by what I've seen in pre-season. I'm enthused by what we can get from people like Madison, Richarlison and others. 
and yeah, if he, if he if he obviously there's a, there's a massive issue at centre half and there's a massive question mark over Harry Kane. But if those two things go well, which I'm certainly not assuming they will, then um, they've got a decent chance of uh, doing something this season. Okay, so that that's a kind of muted positivity about the squad, and it's still a month ago. Find fifth issue of the six that we put on the list initially was to find a new manager and staff, which they've done. And Ange Postecoglou has come in. Um, in his everything he says makes perfect sense. He hasn't yet got round to that stage that the previous managers got round to of slagging off the players, the supporters, the administration, and the club itself. Um, also criticising the Chick King, which I thought was bang out of order. Um, but I've got this to say about Postecoglou. Now the two of you are sitting comfortably, are you? I'm going to throw a hand mm-hmm. grenade into that mill pond of yours there. There we go. If Kane goes, he should resign. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Should. He he cannot have taken this job um, on the, uh, without knowing whether Kane was coming or going. Um, and, it, and if he's green-lighting it, then I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm Postacoglu out. Why would, why would he... Is this, is this talk sport, Danny, talking? Are we, no. are we trying to get people to call in here? Or what's no, going? no, this is, this is my... This, I've gone beyond the talk sport spectrum now. I'm into my own opinions here. It's like late-night American speech radio now. Yeah, if you like, if you like, yes. Uh, I'm the fat Howard Stern, yeah. He, mu- no, he must have known it was an option. Uh, he must have known it was a possibility that Kane would be sold in this. I think he sort of suggested as much, doesn't he? I think he said... He hadn't had any guarantees that Caden would stay, and he wouldn't want. He wouldn't demand that. I think that's what he said on his first press conference. What the hell? I mean, but how can you? Uh, sorry, <laughs> let me clear my clear my throat. Um, why would you take the job knowing that the, the carpet was going to be taken out from under your feet? Well, he, it's because he is. It's because he is what we wanted from a manager, which is someone who sees his job as the biggest job in, uh, of their career. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair thing to say, and take some of the wind out of my sails slightly. Um, it's okay. I just I just I thought you know, it, it, Tim Tim like Tim says there's lots of drama at the club. Imagine if he said, right, this is not what I signed up for. Um, took tore the microphone off off, off his lapel, threw it to the ground, and, and off he went. All right, uh, uh, Tim, you're you're not buying into my he should resign thing either, are you? No, I'm not. I, I would also point people to an article on the Athletic today uh, from. Ahmed Walid, which is a really interesting piece and kind of sums up, you know, what it's, it's kind of questioning what the future's like without Kane under Postacoglu, which is a realistic possibility, and kind of sums it up as obviously there's a huge drop off in certain areas of quality that Kane brings, and obviously guaranteed goals from him. But Ahmed says the system and style Postacoglu will enlist is sort of less dependent on a on a Kane figure or a Kane style at the top of the pitch. So um, Postacoglu wants high pressers, doesn't necessarily want a link man, just wants someone who's going to get into good areas off the last man and attack crosses in the box. So he's, he makes the point that Richarlison could well thrive in that system. He's obviously not going to be a 30-goal-a-season man. Goals are obviously a concern if Kane goes. Uh, you look at that front line, Kulisevsky's more of a creator. Madison will chip in with goals, but Richarlison's not going to get you sort of more than 15-18. So you need Son to step up to sort of make that shortfall or others. But I'd urge people to read that piece because it, it is interesting kind of saying Postacoglu's style that he used at Celtic is not necessarily 100% suited to Kane. And therefore, if they can work with Richarlison and others, if he leaves, then um, maybe it's not, you know, the end of the world. I guess the key thing might be if Kane goes, how that relationship between Madison and Son develops. Because obviously Kane and Son 
have had an incredible partnership that's, that's seen them both score a lot of goals. Uh, and although Son isn't quite as explosive as he was two years ago, if Madison is there kind of threading balls into him, finding him in good positions, then there's every possibility he'll score more goals than he did last season. So that would be a pretty good way of dragging that number up to the kind of number that Spurs scored last season, which was a high number despite how bad the defence was. They scored a decent number of goals. It's conceded far too many. If Kane goes, and, you know, you know, I absolutely can't bear the thought of it. And, you know, people can laugh at me when he goes and all the rest of it. I don't mind. I'm used to it. Um, the the issue, of course, is replacing his goals. But if the man team is properly managed, there shouldn't be an, as a need for so many goals um, to be scored because we, we surely will concede 10, 15, 20 less than they did last season. And You'd hope more than that, surely. How many goals did they concede last 62, season? 63. Some I mean, some heinous number. Yeah. Which is like I think their third their third worst in Premier League history, something like that. And when I think about some of those defenses, that is <laughs> yeah, really exactly. some going. That is very good going, the Spurs defence. But if you know, if they if they if they concede, let's say twenty five goals less for the sake of argument, that turns lesser goals at the other into into more points. Um, and you know it's always a team game, and I you know I, I'm obsessed with Harry Kane. Everyone knows that, but it is a team game at the end of the day. Um, even Harry Kane can't play if the ball doesn't get to him ever, and all the rest of it. So um, if Richarlison could be, if you could, if you could guarantee me with the figure, the upper end of your figure, there was 19. Very specific, Tim. Well done. Then I could say, you know, with Madison chipping in as well, and hopefully the whole team, and I mean the whole team, defending better than they did last season. Then you can see. A possibility of a future. As I remember Nuno telling me once that he thought that when Kane wow. returned after after the when oh, Kane returned after, after missing those first three games of the season. Have you been over to course, see him in, in in the Middle East yet? No, not yet. You will do though, not won't yet. you? Still waiting for my invite. Oh, that when when Kane returned after missing those first three games of that season, he felt that when Kane was in the team, other players sort of went within themselves a little bit and were less creative and would automatically. Perhaps in a sense that we saw with United and Ronaldo, but in a different sort of way because he just demanded the ball. But they just would always think of Kane and play the ball to Kane, whereas a player like Son was uh, less restricted, he felt, when Kane wasn't in the team. So that doesn't necessarily equal a better team, but it does mean that other players might flourish if Kane isn't there. That's just a theory. And I, and I, along with, um, sorry, what was the gentleman from the um, Athletic whose name you just mentioned who's written the piece about Richarlison? Ahmed Walid. Ahmed's piece, yourself. This is all very comforting theories. Of course, the practice is that Harry Kane does X, Y, and Z. Let's 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 stop going on about him. The reality is Spurs need all of those things to go right. They need a system to work. They need Richarlison to score those 19 goals. They need Son to score more than last season. They need Madison to hit the ground running to score seven, eight, nine goals. They need to concede way fewer goals. You know, they need everything to align to even get close to to like plugging that void so we're not saying it'll be piss easy to to live a life without harry kane will be like a walk in the park we're, we're saying it's a possibility okay well good because i thought um the previous podcast we were all a bit doomy and gloomy i'm glad to see even you james are that's, why I'm here. Um, yeah, that's right tim yes, tim Tim has come to bring us... He's the Timmy Mallet of the operation. Charlie is famously negative, of course. Yeah, Charlie. <laughs> Dr. Doom. Yeah, of course. 
Um, one other thing then, and I'm asking you for if you, either of you know with your connections within the game, which I don't claim to have, um, what, who is organising these transfers? Who is the director of football? Uh, who, who is actually doing all this work? Does anyone know? I mean, there are, look, we we talked a couple of times last season about the number of people that were working in that recruitment department. And although, you know, like, like Greta Steinerson, for example, has left at the club as well now, there are still like several pretty senior people there uh, working in recruitment. And yeah, then there is the kind of negotiation side of it. And I suspect Daniel Levy has been more involved than uh, we think he would like. I mean, I think that was the whole point of hiring someone like Paratici, that he could take a, back, a backward seat on all these things and not deal with them. Obviously, that's not really the case now. So yeah, I, I suspect it will be Daniel Levy and a combination of the, the senior people in that recruitment team. But I, I don't think it's... I know some people on Twitter are worried that Daniel Levy is just like loading up football manager and signing players. But I, I mean, if, to be fair, if he is doing that, the players seemingly after are pretty good. So he's done all right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the lane. I'm Danny Kelly with me today, making a, a long overdue return, Tim Spears, and making a very welcome, always here, um, James Moore. Um, just a reminder to all of you there that as well as our email address, which I gave out a bit early, if you want to get in touch with us, you can certainly do that on Twitter, where we've got uh, over 3,000 of you are now following our Twitter page at VFTL Podcast, at VFTL Podcast. Follow us and send us uh, your musings and or questions. Um, a few bits of news from the world of Spurs. Lucas Mora. 
um, has found a new club. Very nice picture of him in the shirt of Sao Paulo. Um, and we can only wish him good luck. Brian Hill, who we mentioned earlier as a possible um, left field uh, alternative captain. Um, doesn't look like he'll be going during the uh, transfer window. He's undergone a groin operation and set to miss the start of the season. Um, picture of him on Instagram last night. Thumbs up. It's all going well. Um, thank you. Good luck to that. Um, but the most interesting thing, and for those of you who were listening on Monday, and hopefully that was all of you, um, is that now, of course, we have a new enemy, Max Schrader, the geezer from Build, who held up the Harry Kane Bayern Munich shirt to the uh, uh, you know low-key annoyance of Ange Postacoglu. Um, so this is like Schrader watch. We're keeping an eye on him and his colleagues. He still has no followers on Twitter. I mean, uh, I, I was just going to see if he had any more since Monday. No, Max, Max, if you don't use your own name somewhere in it, unless you're really, really famous, it ain't going to work. Well, he has now got a new colleague for us to fixate over, a man called Raymond Hinko. And Raymond Hinko writes for Build as well. And he has written an open letter to Bayern Munich, or specifically to the Bayern Munich president, uh, Herbert Heiner, telling the club not to spend $100 million on Kane. Now, this is the same Build newspaper who have been banging on for the past six weeks about how they must sign Harry Kane for the good of himself, for the good of Bayern Munich, for the good of the Bundesliga, for the good of world health and for the, for the climactic conditions. Everything in Build has been about they must sign Harry Kane. Now they've changed their, their, um, their, their direction. The Athletic Seb Stafford Bloor um, has given a, a summary of this piece on Twitter, bearing in mind that Seb speaks German. Um, and he says that the column is very negative about Hurricane and Bill's day, the crux of which are he can't play in a congested penalty area, he doesn't work in a possession team in the way that Lewandowski did, and this is all a marketing stunt. Um, uh, our friends at Bill, I mean, even though that was written by Ryman Hinko, I'm going to pretend that Max Schrader was behind all that. And what and what is he up to, the little git? James, if you've got if you've got a piece like that, I mean, the if you put the whole piece into a Google translator, there's also a bit where Kane is described as an old bone. I mean, yeah, I twi twice. And, and, and well, Danny, I'm delighted to tell you that I did put the whole piece into Google Translate. Good boy. I also said, also said the Spurs won the league in 1962. Oh dear, oh dear, it? oh dear. I wish they had. Can you believe it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we should say it is just a columnist's opinion rather than the opinion of a whole newspaper. But it does seem like an, these things don't just get kind of published for no reason, do they? I, I don't know whether this was them kind of preparing the groundwork in case it doesn't happen, maybe. Uh, the idea that it's a marketing stunt, I'm not on what basis? Like, I don't think, I mean, Harry Kane has been like a massive marketing tool for Spurs. But I don't think in kind of world football terms, he's not like... Uh, he's not like a sort of messy figure or an Mbappe figure, is he? He's not like a sort of recognisable brand globally, I don't think. I mean, it is interesting of Max Schrader and the like to to accuse someone else of, of, of shameless marketing stunts, isn't it really? Yeah, uh, very good. Good. Yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> All right. No, 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 seriously, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, of course, he, he is the Stuntmeister General, and um, that's the actual German word, Stuntmeister. Um and there he is. That I turn around and say, "This is a big old stunt." Can, can we just say that the two points he makes about uh, that, that you read out there are like on a sort of more footballing level? I, I'm not saying they're true, but given how Spurs have played in the last couple of years, actually, we don't know that they're untrue. If you know what I mean, like, like can't play in congested penalty areas. That's just not. 
I mean, that's probably probably wrong. I sense, but well, you know, it's, it's not really been the way. Not really been what players have come up against, given they played on a counter attack so much. I can certainly say that he can play in congested penalty areas because he's the best defensive header Spurs have got, and that's usually where the def- where the congestion has been in the last two years, isn't it? In the Spurs penalty area, <laughs> and he's very good at defending. Um, what was the other one that um, Max and his mates have accused him of? It doesn't work in a possession team in the way that Lewandowski did. I think that's I think that's nonsense myself. Um, Lewandowski's strength is a, and, and holding the ball and moving on to colleagues is fantastic. I'll, I'll put it in legendary, if you like. But Kane, because he does so many other things so well, it you, you be you know think about the performance at Manchester City a while back, where against you know the best defenders the Premier League has, he just bounced off them and played the ball where he wanted to. I'm not so sure about that either. We'll keep an eye on Build um, and Max. Uh, as the weeks go by, until I tell you exactly when we'll stop doing it, when I get bored with it, uh, and then we'll move on to somebody else. Right, listen, a more serious matter in some ways. This week, the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust announced a ticket pricing demonstration before the first home game of the season against Manchester United, just over, what, two weeks' time. Uh, Spurs have the highest ticket prices in the Premier League. Indeed, congratulations, they have the highest ticket prices in Europe, and they're putting the prices up a game. Earlier on, I spoke to the new chair of the trust, Martin Buhaja, about the planned demonstrations and the wider issues surrounding the club. So, hello, Martin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You're very, very welcome, because uh, this is, I think, a very interesting development uh, in, a, in a summer of interesting developments at Tottenham, Martin. Without having to give us the whole remit of what it is that the uh, the Sports Trust do, um, let's, just, let's take that as given, that you're a pipeline to the club and... Um, represent the fans' voice in a way that's slightly differently from the fan advisory board. Of course, you've been around much longer than them. But the document you put out Tuesday, I thought was incredibly clear-sighted um, and unemotional. Tell people what what is it is it that's caused you to take, come to the point where you feel you need to take visible, um, and someone used the phrase direct action. Yeah, thanks, Danny. I think it's come to the point now where we just think now's not the right time to increase ticket prices. And, and Tottenham announced a few weeks ago the match day ticket prices were going to be increased, and that some of them double digit increases. Um, and, you know, sort of set against the backdrop of a, a cost of living crisis, people struggling to pay their mortgages, their shopping bills, their energy bills. Um, we feel it's not the right time. The way the club went about it disappointed us. Um, we weren't consult. There was no consultation, and um, they told us the morning. Um, the morning of the announcement and then the way the announcement happened they actually just put up a, a ticketing page and the, and you have to then click on to a link to click onto another link to get to the increases and uh, and we felt that was um slightly underhand and um, we told the club that um so yeah we, we just feel enough's enough now we're at the point now where, where you can't keep fleecing loyal fans you can't keep exploiting loyalty and forcing fans to pay more I mean, in some ways, and this might sound naive, uh, Martin, I don't even know why they're doing it because the return in terms of revenue, brainier people than me have worked out it might bring the club in two and a half million pounds, is a drop in the ocean compared to the bad PR that this was going to generate and is now, thanks to people like yourselves and your organisation, going to generate in a very visible way for both the, the Spurs board and the rest of the country. It's a terrible piece of PR. It's a PR own goal, absolutely, Danny. It's it's. I work in communications, and uh, I've I've advised similar sized companies, and and I would I would have been saying to them, don't do this because, it, as you say, for two and a half, we 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 think two and a half million pounds might be half a million more, half a million less. 
it's I mean you, you don't even pay that for a poor set of poor left back these days, do you? It's uh, you know it's ten times that amount, and uh, there are there are ways the club could have made that money back instead of putting ticket prices up. It doesn't make any sense to us. Um, we think we estimate it's about 0.6% of the club's annual turnover. It, it just, it, it's ludicrous to put yourselves, and if you go back a few weeks, it was at the point where we just signed James Madison, just signed the goalkeeper, and Postacoglu was saying some really positive things in the press. Pete fans were getting behind him going, actually, I, I, I'm really liking what Angie's saying. This isn't going to be Conte ball. This isn't going to be Mourinho ball. This isn't going to be Nuno ball. We're going to enjoy our football. Everyone wants to get behind Ange. We support him completely. And one thing we don't want to do is detract from you know any, any, uh, any performances on the field, and we won't do that. Um, but to then announce this, having signed Madison, it just seemed illogical. It yeah. just seems so daft to do this on the verge of the new season. What is it you're asking people to do? Because I think it's fair to say that the Tottenham Hospital Supporters Trust wouldn't be organising sort of marching on the castle with rakes and torches. Something perhaps more more refined than that and something that doesn't interfere with the team. We're holding a demonstration outside the ticketing office. It's just a, a gathering of people to show the level of disgust. And we're getting a lot of emails from people who say, we can't afford to come to games this season. We were there last year. We can't do it anymore. That's a breaking point for us. But they're coming to the demonstration. So they're going to come to the demonstration to put their their views forward in a peaceful and democratic way. We're going to ask that we're asking the club to plead for the sake of £2.5 million, which is peanuts to them, to just reflect, admit they got it wrong. They've judged the mood wrong. And, and withdraw it, withdraw the increases. Like, say, the furlough system during during the lockdowns. Absolutely. We've seen this morning, incidentally, Newcastle United had came up with some some balmy ballot scheme where member, where fans didn't know what price bracket they'd be buying. They could be buying, they'd, they'd apply for a ballot and their tickets could be £40, their tickets could be £70. They retracted that, Newcastle, because the supporters' trust, again, were like us. Were were and um, came out against it. So there is there is power behind to, to the people. There is a there is a really strong supporter movement in this country, and and we're just hoping the club will listen to us because fundamentally we're also trying to help the club. We're trying to help. We want the club to be successful on the pitch and off it, and we want our fan base to be be happy and coordinated. But we also don't want to see fans priced out of the game. And uh, and and this this is a last straw for many many supporters. I mean, I emigrated to where I live in Ireland five years ago, so my visits to the stadium are less fortnightly than they used to be. But it was even in the old stadium, uh, it was starting to become obvious to me that I sat with a group of blokes that you know, many were blokes um, that I, I went with, and we were all in the uh, second half of middle age, shall we say? And I looked around; the amount of grey hair was incredible. And this is not because kids don't love football. We know the exact opposite is true. But where are they going to get the money to go to a football match? Um, just so as you know, this change in the pricing would lead to the most expensive ticket for you know a Category A match being over £100. Think about that. After tax, let's say you're, you're in the, the you know, medium tax bracket, that means you've got to earn £130 before you can even go to see a football match. It's a wider issue than Spurs, but Spurs are the poster boys for this because they're they're always pushing the edges of it. What's been what's been the response been to your statement and the announcement of the protest so far, Martin? From the club, um, disappointingly, not a lot. They just they they threw out the same um, statement that they they issued a few weeks ago when we first criticised it. But it, it's a really important point that you make there, Danny, because I remember in two thousand and one, Daniel Levy saying, 
young supporters are the lifeblood, they're the future, and we've got to encourage more supporters, young supporters to come in. Concessionary seats at the stadium are, are at a premium. There are so few of them. There's one little area. So pensioners are finding it hard to get seats in concessionary areas, as are juniors. If you go to Arsenal, the most expensive seat now for us is £103. So if you can't get a seat in a concessionary area for you and your kids, you could look at, if you're taking two children with you, paying between £75 and £100 each because you can't get your children into a concessionary area. Um, and the same for pensioners. And, and that, that's a real, real concern for us because where, what's the future of this club if it's not the young supporters who, um, you know, who I remember my first trip to White Hart Lane with my dad and staring at the shelf, staring at the East Stand in awe. Thinking, I've seen this so many times, I can't believe I'm here. There are so many fans that want to come to our stadium and can't and are being priced out. And eventually you'll end up with a soulless bowl because you'll end up, the stadium will be full, but it won't be full of passionate Spurs supporters. And that's our biggest concern. Um, I must ask you a serious question. Since they didn't consult you, um, and I understand that the Fan Advisory Board was similarly uh, blindsided by this, um, what does it say, not about the efficiency of what you're doing, because we we need a fan's voice, but the club's attitude towards these organisations, including your own? We're concerned, absolutely. So we we have a Fan Advisory Board. We've got two um, supporters' trust representatives on that Fan Advisory Board. And again, they were told about these ticket increases. And every member of the Fan Advisory Board um, came out against it. So it seems ridiculous to have a fan advisory board that comes out against such a move and the club still pushes ahead with it. Um, if we go back a few years, we used to have board to board, we used to have quarterly board to board meetings with the Spurs board when I first joined the Supporters Trust board with Daniel Levy, Don Cullen, and a few others. And they were really helpful. And um, they don't happen anymore. They, they stopped during COVID and they just haven't come back. And we feel, and it's a concern for us because we need to be able to consult with our club. There is a need for the club to consult with us. We've had the football fan-led review, which the government's behind. There's a push from government now, particularly after the European Super League debacle, um, to make sure fans are involved in the running of their football clubs. And it might have to. There may well be a tipping point again where we go to the government, we go to the Premier League, we go to the Football Association, and we say this just isn't working. You look at the similar issues going on with supporters' trusts at Wolves, at Fulham, Manchester United, at Liverpool, at Newcastle, almost every Premier League club someone's going to have to do something about it. Someone has to step in because within Premier League owners, amongst Premier League owners, there is greed with all, within all clubs. And, and that's the only word we can use. They're, they're just trying to fleece loyal fans and exploit loyalty and we can't let them get away with it because as Daniel Levy himself said, he's not the owner, he's not the chairman, he's the custodian of this club. Well, then run it in the best interest of the fans. You used the phrase there about exploiting loyalty and I thought that was in some ways the most hard-hitting part of the document you put out on Tuesday um, because it gets to the, uh, the one of the hearts of one of the matters that we are, I often use the, uh, the the phrase, to some extent, we're not supporters and customers in the way that they like to think of us, but we're hostages because we love the club and there's nothing, I'm not going to start supporting, <clears throat> I, won't, I won't even list their names, um, uh, we're hostages um, and that is being exploited. That relationship, which ought to be symbiotic and pleasurable, is at the moment exploitative and is being further exploited. Yeah, completely agree. And and I think the dang- what they always fall back on the knowledge that if I don't go, if I decide not to go, they will sell my ticket. But as we saw in the six, the sixties was a boom. Then we saw in the seventies and the early eighties. 
the football fans weren't there. But I've stood in crowds of 12 and 13,000 at White Hart Lane, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah. So they've yeah. got to be careful. If you keep exploiting loyalty, without football without fans is nothing. They say it, we know it. The game is about glory. It's all around, you know, what did Billy Nick say about Tottenham Hotspur supporters? And his, his uh, quotes are all around the stadium. And I think he'd have something to say about the way um, football fans are being treated now. But it's true. I, I, I foresee, if, they, if things don't change, I can see these huge stadiums being half empty in within, within 10, 15 years. And then what happens? And it might not be Enix's problem or Daniel Levy's problem or, or Donna Cullen's problem. It might be a new owner. But there will be a problem. Um, you can't rely on... And I've got no problem with... I go abroad and I go and watch football abroad. I've got no problem with tourists coming in and watching the game. But there's an increasing number of those fans coming to games because there's so many tickets that are being sold. Um, and and that's a worry because it impacts on the on the, on the the atmosphere and the Premier League won't be able to, and Sky Sports won't be able to say it's the best league in the world, the most passionate league in the world for much longer if, they, if that continues. Okay, th- that's that, Martin. You, you mentioned the optimism that accompanied the early part of the transfer window when they got in in Madison, a player they desperately needed for the last few years, and a manager who wasn't by any means the first pick, I don't think, in people's when people were working through who they would get, but somebody who I took to instantly seems to be a very personal bloke, um, no nonsense, um, and his track record wherever he's gone has been pretty good, although he's making a huge jump now. But that that's it was all optimistic. That has been frittered away partly because of the uncertainty over Harry Kane, which as we speak is still uncertainty over Harry Kane. Um, my view is, just so as you know, that no amount of money could replace him if he wants to leave at the end of his contract, that's that's his personal decision. But I wouldn't be getting rid of him for for anything. But overall, the spoiling of that feeling of optimism by some of the things that have gone on, including the ticket in pricing, it reflects to me, and I'm a very optimistic uh, person and not one who wants to be standing outside the ground protesting, to be truthful. Um, it, we seem to be stumbling from one crisis, small c, to another. Do you get the impression despite the stuff that's going on in, new, in the New York courts, that this has all been fattening the club up for sale? Because most people would find that at the moment an optimistic thing. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's Whenever we ask, we've asked the club, um, you know, are there previously in years gone by, are there any plans to sell? And they've always said no. I, I actually, I do believe, I think Daniel Levy, I think would want to go out. The impression I get is that he'd want to go out on the high. So I, I think he'll want to to have some success on the pitch before they sell. It will be interesting to see what happens. But I think, I don't know how they can achieve success if they continue to make the same mistakes. Harry Kane has waited patiently um, to, to see the promises or the guarantees that are given to him. And every year, like us, he must sit there and see the same thing happen in the transfer window. We need centre-backs. We bid for centre-backs. Nothing. The, the season kicks off you know, in, in a week or a week's time. We, we've not got. We know defence is an area we need to improve in. Yet we've not got any centre backs in. We, we've seen, and again, when when and if Harry Kane does leave, you, we saw that with Carrick. We saw it with Berbatov. We saw it with Modric. We saw it with Bale. We saw it with, um, so dare I say, Sol Campbell. You know, we've seen it over the years. We've not learned that lesson because these players have all left for the same reason. They don't believe they're going to win major honours at Spurs, and that's something the club has to deal with. Now we were sold the dream of the new stadium, the £1 billion stadium, this will enable us to challenge. Well, actually, the, we challenged for the league twice in the Pochettino at White Hart Lane, didn't we? So, And, and what seen, fun it was, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, he should never have been sacked. Should never have been sacked for me. Um, and, and then we brought in three managers who took us back 10 years. Um, 
So again, that, that whole strategy is wrong. The, the managerial strategy appointment is wrong. The transfer strategy is wrong. What is our transfer strategy? We used to buy young players like Bale and see them develop. What are we? What is our strategy now? It's utterly ridiculous. What, what's happening with Scott Munn now? Has he started? Has he not started? What's the situation? Who's signing our players? It, there's just so many questions, and it, it just seems like such a mess all the time. And I think Spurs fans now have just had enough, uh, it, and that's where that anger. And I don't think the club really understand where the anger is coming from, but that's where it is because we're just fed up with the same mistakes being made time and time again. There are numerous outlets like this podcast and, and others just as, as good and successful um, where people say week after week after week, not, not the kind of um, knee-jerk, um, oh, we've got to spend more money on players, but there isn't, a, there isn't a coherent transfer strategy. The director of football has changed far too often the managers haven't had the right backing for the things they want to do. And in the case of Conte and Jose Mourinho, I'm glad because we'd be buying um, you know, defensive midfielders till they came out of our ears and all the rest of it. Um, they, they know what's going on. They know full well. Um, and it's not enough to say, oh, well, here's this lovely stadium and it's always full. But the truth of the matter is they have no real motivation to change anything because the money just keeps flowing in. And it's true of every football club um, in the Premier League. I once um, caused uh, my friend uh, Simon Jordan to almost um, spit his coffee out when I said it's the easiest job in the world, running a Premier League club at one level. If it's about balance books and things like that, your, your biggest job every morning is to get up while scratching yourself in your dressing gown, open the, the letterbox and watch the money be poured through the door by sponsors, television companies, the people paying at the gate. Indeed, I was amazed when you in your in your piece you were saying um, we're going to contact Spurs' sponsors. I could name obviously there's this thing on the shirt and um, and the training top, but then you went on to there's twenty large corporations at different levels sponsoring the none of them are stadium rights, but the naming rights. But that's not. Um, I I get that I I think they 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 do know what the anger is about. Because it's the same anger that motivated Arsenal fans two years ago, Liverpool fans five years ago, Manchester United fans all the time. Um, and yet, while the money continues to pour in, what are we going to do about it? Um, let's end by um, by reminding people again, you've already reminded them, um, if they want to get involved with the Supporters Trust, uh, is that a good thing for people to do? Yeah, they could absolutely. The more members we get, the, the more varied views we get and the, and the bigger our mandate because we, we take a mandate from our membership um, so people could uh, can go onto our website thstofficial.com and become a member for free. Um, they can pay if they want to, ten pounds, but they can become a member for free. They can follow our Twitter page um, and they can join us on our demonstration. Martin, it's been a pleasure and an education. Thank you very much. Thanks, Danny. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks to Martin there for joining us. Um, James, you are the only season ticket holder on the firm this afternoon. Um, how do you feel about the price rises? I mean, I think we we talked about the the season ticket price freeze when that was announced right at the end sure. of the season, sure. and I said uh, I wasn't that impressed of it because they were so expensive. And then it kind of felt like they snuck this uh, uh, members ticket price rise out, uh, kind of uh, a, a bit later. And yeah, it's it's mad. I mean, I've been in that position where you lived a bit further away or not been able to afford to go to to get a season ticket and you're kind of having to pick and choose the games that you go to. And, you know, that applies to people that live locally and people that live on the other side of the world. Um, 
And those fans are, I kind of feel like in terms of the atmosphere are actually really important because they're the people that aren't like complacent or bored or tired or, or, or like routinely going to a game. Like going to a game six four or six times a season or whatever, like you're in the rhythm of it. You kind of, you know, you, you, you know the chance and you'll get involved in whatever. Um, but it's going to mean more to you because you like don't go as often. Uh, so that group of supporters are like so crucial to atmosphere. Uh, and you know the phrase that's been used a lot, but by the trust is ex- you know, exploiting loyalty, and that's what it is. I just don't, there's not really any justification for it. And you know, as has been mentioned, the the, the money is a relatively small fry to the club, but uh, absolutely massive to your average fan. And uh, you know, off the back of such a bad season last season, and you know, it was so it was horrible. And I don't want to get into me not going to games again at the end of last season, but you know, it was so horrible at the end of last season. Uh, and clearly there are big legitimate gripes with the way the club is being run in, in every sense. You have that, you have the very real possibility of Harry Kane leaving the club. Seemingly, at best, it's just going to be that fee that's reinvested in players. It's not going to be like we see a massive like £300 million splurge on a completely new team to kind of kickstart everything. You know, the, the whole point of a new stadium we were told was that it would enable Spurs to compete at, at the highest level through ticket revenue, but it wasn't really explained that Spurs would have the most expensive tickets in, in all of European football. But I just don't see there's any justification for that because they're not spending at a rate that necessitates that. Um, James, just to finish this, there were times last season on the view from the lane where you were musing about whether or not you would renew your season ticket. What finally decided you that you would? You know, I, I, I'm not really sure now. I guess just a sense that it couldn't really be any worse. That is a great selling point, isn't it? That is a brilliant marketing ploy. Things had kind of bottomed out and that, like, there was sort of a fan base-wide acceptance that it would probably it needed to get worse before it got better. And that, in a way, like, like when, you're, when you're at the bottom of the upswing, like everything is really exciting, and I just had a feeling that Spurs were going to kind of be they bottomed out, and that you know this was the exciting bit now when you start building. If you think to where Spurs were in like two thousand and nine, ten, or whatever, or even sort of two thousand five, six, when you're like a newer team, a younger team, and you're starting to climb, that's the best bit. Uh, yeah, I just had a feeling it would be like that, and, and I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying it won't be like that, but. Things like this just do leave such a sour taste. Like I say, there's just no justification for it, really. Tim, let me just come back to this because, you know what? To most of the people listening to my voice, this is an incredible thought that the price of tickets is irrelevant because 99% of Spurs fans don't get to the ground. These days, it's a global televisual sport. It's podcasts and all the rest of it. But they are incredibly important to people who go. They make the atmosphere. They gather up the memories for the rest of us to warm our hands on and all the rest of that. They are incredibly important. So to me, the ticket pricing issue is everything that Martin and and James have outlined, but it's also, Tim, I always think it's a really good indicator of the relationship between the owners of the club and the fans. This was an opportunity to do something, you you use the word PR, but just to to acknowledge the importance and some kind of relationship with the fans. And they've chosen chosen to say, nah, we'll get the two and a half million. Yeah, and acknowledge how how poor last season was. You know, their worst in in a decade and a half. 
Um, it's just shitting on loyalty, basically. It's just ex- it's just exploitative, you know. Somehow they managed to sell out every every game last year, you know, despite it being the worst campaign for fifteen years. And I guess yeah, they know that they'll do it again this year. And um, you know, there's no European football for the first time in in a decade. You know, if you're if you're a a, a family, a young family, sort of living halfway between Spurs and Brentford. Then you look at Brentford, who I should point out finished one point below Spurs last season. At Spurs, you can watch two Category A games, which would be about 80 quid, three Category B, which would be about 65 quid, and one Category C, and, and you know, and they've got rid of a Category C this year, which was Wolves, to be fair. They've bumped the Wolves game up. So you approve, which is, you approve Which is the only season that. I do agree with. I, absolutely. <laughs> um, they're a big draw these days. But yeah, moving Newcastle up to Category A is a real piss taker. But anyway... So if you watch two category A, three category B, and one category C, that's six games. That's four hundred quid, and you can get a season ticket at Brentford for four hundred quid. Um, and like I said, it's not it's not you're a Spurs fan or you're a Brentford fan, but maybe if you're living halfway through and you're a casual football fan and you're choosing who to or support, or if you just want your kids then, to see football in the flesh, you know. No, exactly. And Brentford offer season tickets for four fifty five hundred quid. That's twenty four quid a game, which is the, which is the cheapest in the league. Um, but Spurs have got no intention of reducing their prices and, and and making a fair offer for not even working class fans here, but just just people who have um, fairly well paid jobs won't be able to afford to go into watch Spurs these days. So it's it's exploitative and it stinks. I really don't like it. And on that positive note, I think we should end for now, Tim. It's been an absolute joy seeing you again in the in the electronic flesh. Um, why don't you come back for the next one on Monday as well? All right, we'll do, Danny. I'd love that because a lot of things will have changed by then. James, very good to see you as well. Thank you all for listening. Tell your friends if you love the podcast. And to remind you, the show also has its own official home now on Twitter, at VFTL Podcast, at VFTL Podcast. We are, as I say, back to our usual scheduled programming twice a week, available wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on the athletic, so sign up uh, and make the most of our summer deal right now, which is one ninety nine a month for twelve months at theathletic.com forward slash Spurs Pod. It's been a joy. Bless you all. See you next time. The Athletic.